0: Welcome to Sober Conversations, and thank you for joining us today. Sober Conversations is the podcast that gets to the heart of addiction recovery by examining all the angles of the sober lifestyle and just what it means to be alive, healthy, and thriving. My name is Dr. Herbie Bell, and today's episode number 32 is a conversation with Mr. Gary Mendel, Chairman and CEO of Shatterproof.org. Gary's son Brian lost his battle with addiction when Gary said, Enough! Shadowproof.org, formerly Brian's Wish, was created to honor Brian's memory with the promise to spare other families the anguish of this disease. The now very present and robust organization's vision is to unite and empower, to end the stigma, to advocate for change. And to research and innovate. As you'll hear, first and foremost, Mr. Mendel's heart and then keen business sense and plan has led him to gain the attention of such change agents as the Bill Clinton Global Initiative and the Clinton Health Matters Initiative. As Gary points out, this is not about him, but about us. Let's learn from this proactive man with unstoppable heart right now. Mr. Gary Mandel, you are with us here at Sober Conversations. It's so great to have you here this morning. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm great, Herbie. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, it's just fantastic. And um, as the uh, we will call you the CEO of Shatterproof.org. Is that the right way to say it, or chairman of Shatterproof.org? Right.
1: Uh, e- either one's fine, Herbie. That, that that would be wonderful. Thank you.
0: And as uh, for the run up to our conversation, I told you that I, I have been so attracted to your work because of the very deep empathy I felt regarding learning about the death of your son um, by addiction, by suicide, and how so moved I was by your heartfelt speech at the Clinton Foundation Health Matters Conference last year. Will you begin by redeclaring your promise to your son, Brian, and talk about the disconnect? Between what we know about addiction and what we're actually doing about it,
1: absolutely. Um, You know, after Brian passed away, you know, for so many years, I was in I was in the trees. I wasn't at, at the forest, and the trees were were supporting Brian any way that we could, that I could, and we could as a family to help him get through his disease. You know, and unfortunately, it wasn't until after he died that I was able to move past the trees into the forest and look at the big picture of how addiction is handled in this country. And you know, I, I, I mourn every day that I was not able to do that when he was alive. But it is, I can't go back. Um, I can't change what's been done. And when I look at past what happened and to what can be done and how addiction is handled in this country, there's just no question that there is a base of knowledge, a base of research that exists today that's been funded by government grants, hundreds of millions of dollars over the last decade, that have, through clinical trials, randomly controlled trials shown very good evidence of things that parents can do, schools can do, pediatricians can do that will reduce the number of our children who become addicted. And there's also clinical trials of protocols that treatment programs should follow that will improve outcomes. But all this information is largely in research journals and not out in our communities. It it is just unbelievable that this research exists that can start saving lives tomorrow and it's not out in our communities. So my number one promise to Brian was no more research ignored. My second promise to Brian was the most heartfelt Brian, and possibly your father. But I know from Brian, and I know many others like Brian, this is a disease where society shuns you. This is a disease where society says, you're bad. This is a disease where society says, there's something wrong with the family. This is a disease when you look for treatment, you can't find treatment programs that use the protocols that have been proven in research. So my second promise to Brian is no more Americans suffering alone like Brian did, feeling ashamed because they have a disease. Brian felt ashamed. How many times was he asked or yelled at, why don't you stop? That just made him feel worse. Some people, it's really hard to stop. Really hard. Some people don't have the ability at certain maturity levels to stop. The worst thing we can do that makes it worse is make that person, person feel bad about themselves. Brian, I can remember just like yesterday him telling me, Herbie, Dad, you don't have to punish me. You think I want this kind of life? Brian said to me once, and I remember it like it was yesterday. We're sitting on our back porch. He said, Dad, 300 years ago, 300 years ago, they burned women at the stake in Salem, Massachusetts, because they thought they were witches. Hmm. Then they learned they weren't, and they stopped. Maybe 50 years from now, people will realize we're not bad kids. We just have a disease. And my third promise to Brian is no more lives wasted. This is a a disease that is in large part preventable and in large part treatable. And we have information to do that, and we're not doing it. So those are my three promises to Brian, and that's what Shadowproof is based on.
0: Well, thank you. Talk about heartfelt. Thank you. I'm, I'm uh, and you mentioned um, my father. Um, I, I shared with you that my father committed suicide. Uh, he died of addiction through suicide as well. So, uh, for the listeners, that is the the uh the tie here and i think it's a very good look at the intergenerational model of this this terrible legacy and and you're doing so much to to break that legacy so i want to ask you as a healthcare provider me being a healthcare provider and a- after listening to a lot of the rhetoric around implementing change in primary and behavioral health i was really uh, pleased and intrigued by this proactive vision of shatterproof.org. And, and let me um, give a, a, a little um, slice of uh, a quote that you have. You're in, you envision America including, in quotes, an, an America where promising new programs for long-term recovery are developed, piloted, and implemented quickly and efficiently to complement AA and NA. So tell us how the Affordable Care Act, the Parity Act, along with your five policies that you're pursuing at Shatterproof, will really get the rubber to meet the road.
1: In, in several ways, Herbie. That's a very good question. Thank you. Um, number one, if someone has cancer, heart, autism, et cetera, there is, there is a comprehensive website that they can go to. Which is created and run by an organization that's well-funded to give, in one place, the information you need about that disease: what is it? How do you diagnose it? How do you prevent it? How do you treat it? How do you recover from it? Etc. That, that does not exist today for drug and alcohol addiction. So our first solution to what the question you answer, you the question you asked. Was We are in the process now of, of, over the next six months, adding extensive resources to our website. So when someone wants to learn about the, 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 the topics that I mentioned related to this disease, they know that they can go to Shatterproof and get it. Not our opinion, but what's fact, what's known today will be on our website, and it'll be there by the end of the third quarter of this year. And then and then we'll be updating it every single week thereafter with all the new information as it comes out. So it won't be static. So that's the first thing. Second, and, and, and also in addition to that, for our disease unrelated to the others, there'll be a whole section on that information section of our website that will relate to what these two historic pieces of legislation the parity act and the affordable care act how they relate to this disease because one of the statistics we haven't talked about yet is that 90% of the people in this country who have this disease do not have the ability to access treatment that has changed with the parity act and the affordable care act but it's only changed if people know about it and so part of a part of our a big part of our initiative in providing this information and then using education programs to get it out, if the people become aware of what the law says and, and become aware of what their rights are under the law and the insurance they should have to get the treatment they so rightly deserve, someone with this disease should have the same ability to get, this, get treated for it as if any other disease. That's what the law says, but the law has to be enforced, and people have to know about it first. So that's, that's a, another big initiative. Another initiative relates to the fine print which is yet to be defined. The Parity Act says if you have a, if you have mental, if are insurance plan and you cover mental health or substance use disorders, you have to cover in parity with other diseases. The Affordable Care Act says 10 essential health benefits have to be covered by all plans, one of them being mental health and substance use disorders. But the fine print is yet to be developed. And a lot of the fine print will be state by state, a little bit different state by state. So there's a lot of advocacy work that we're going to be doing over the next several years as that fine print is written and developed to make sure it's written to, to complement what the intent of the law is. And then as we move beyond that, once the fine print is written federally, you know how is it written state by state? You know, is screening and brief intervention and referral to treatment covered under Medicaid? Is it covered under private insurance? The fine print doesn't say that today, but it should be because we know that screening and brief intervention and referral to treatment works. It's had randomly controlled trials for 20 years. We know it works, but it's not in the fine print yet that it's to be covered. And if it's not covered, People who are wealthy can afford it, and people who are not wealthy cannot afford it. And that's not right. So that's another big initiative. third initiative we're going to focus on is overdose, is reducing the number of people who die from overdoses needlessly. If someone is addicted to opiates, there is a way of reversing overdose today, and it's not being used hardly at all, and in two ways. Number one, just like if you're someone's experience a heart attack, we've heard for years, the quicker we get them to medical attention into the hospital, the higher their chance of survival. Hmm. Same thing with an overdose. If someone is overdosing, they're not dying instantly. They're not going to die for three to five hours potentially. So every minute counts. And a bunch of people are in a room and someone looks like they're overdosed. If you're in one of the 38 states that have not passed a Good Samaritan law and people think when the ambulance comes, the police come with them and everyone gets arrested. So th- so what happens in those other states passed the law giving to people and everybody else in the room, it's still happening every day because no one knows the law got passed in their day. So we're going to be advocating for the state to pass this law that's already been passed in 12 and passing for budgets with the state to educate the public so no, it wasn't passed. And then the follow-on to that is naloxone, brand-name NARCON. someone is overdosing, they're injected or nasally NARCON-NALOXONE. In many circumstances, the most circumstances, it will reverse the overdose, and the person will recover. But most states, in fact, almost all states today, it's very hard to get prescribed naloxone. Very few doctors prescribe it. It's very tightly controlled, and no one knows about it. No one is too strong. Very few people know about it. So there's a trend starting in certain states to have the police carry it with them, ambulances to carry it with them, parents to have it with them if they have a child who's on opiates or is addicted to opiates, even if they're in recovery and are doing well. As we certainly know from the most recent celebrity death, people can fall out of recovery very fast. So we're going to be advocating for much broader distribution of naloxone and much better education around naloxone. Did that answer your question,
0: Harvey? It Herb, sure did. It, it sure yes. did. So, so, I want to I want to move to this um, this question around that. There's so many moving parts with recovery advocacy, and in your interviews, I hear you saying we need to work on this together with a large tent, uh, national nonprofit like Shatterproof.org is doing, and that is leveraging the best evidence based science and thought leadership of the nation to effect change, like you're saying. And I want to ask you this. Isn't part of the problem that we have is for the, is um, actually the for-profit sick care system that continues to marginalize the mind-body-spirit wellness approach that addiction treatment mandates? Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, fell out of recovery over the course of 23 years in an insidious way, I think. Uh, so the straw that breaks the camel's back are these – these critical events that you and I are so closely tied to and we saw with him, isn't it the way we approach healthcare, a big part of the problem?
1: Absolutely. Completely agree with you. This issue has always been treated as a criminal activity. It's been treated like bad kids. Why can't you stop? Moral weakness, you know, character weakness, moral imperfections. This is a disease and this needs to be reframed from the criminal justice system into the healthcare industry. And it's being done. I mean, it, it is it you know the, the the I mean, when the parity act passed and in 2008 when it passed and they and it was now federal legislation that any health plan in this country if you cover substance use disorders, or mental health. You have to cover them in parity with physical diseases. That's a great first step in the right direction. It's another big step in the right direction when the Affordable Care Act says you have to cover mental health and substance use disorders. I mean, Herbie, when you think about it, why did it happen in 2013? Why didn't it happen in 1913? I mean, it's kind of unconsciousable to think that people have a disease and they don't have health insurance for it, but they have it if you have a broken arm. It's just unbelievable. And, well, uh, but, but, uh, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: And I beg your pardon. Go ahead. You're on a nice train no, no, of thought. No,
1: you go ahead. Go
0: ahead. Well, so uh, I think what I'm I'm um, uh, pushing here is that uh, I read in, in your very successful uh, past with developing a chain of hotels around the nation that you instituted a wellness first kind of. Approach with with your employees, and so um, this is what I'm talking about. The front end of this is uh, missing that people who do develop this disease, in part, are uh, you know their mind, body, spirits aren't well because they're not taking great care of themselves. Nor are very many people in this nation. So addiction is the critical manifestation of that. Can can you talk about that? Sure,
1: um, people change is hard. You know there was a book that came out about a year ago called Nudge you know, related to getting people to change their behaviors in within the, within within the health area. But whether it's health or any other other people don't change that easy. And so you look at what's caused change. You know why was the AIDS movement successful? Because there was anger and then there was hope. Why was the movement, the the sexual preference movement so successful? Because there was anger and there was hope. There was a way out. Why did the Wall Street movement fail? There were rallies in every city against, or many cities against Wall Street, but there was no hope. There was not going to be any change. There is hope here. There is real hope. There's enough people in this country that have been affected by this where there's real anger. But we have hope. We have hope because we have answers on how to improve this. We have answers on how to reduce the number of our kids who become addicted. We have answers on how to treat people who are addicted for better outcomes. So we need to now reframe this as hope and to your point related to our hotel company um, wellness program, make it fun. There's you know, make it fun for kids. To run in a race when they're in middle school with a t-shirt that says, I am shatterproof. Make it, you know, the bad news is 50% of kids in high school use drugs or alcohol on a a, a, you know fairly regularly. The good news is 50% don't. That's a lot that don't. How do we take those 50% that don't use drugs or alcohol regularly? And create a fun movement around that to protect our society, to protect our kids, to make it fashionable, where we don't have to use drugs and alcohol in high school, and become and have one out of ten who use regularly become addicted. Actually, it's one in five who use regularly who become addicted. One in ten overall. And so we can create fun environment around that. We can repel off buildings. We can have races. We can get kids excited about it. We can have contests of of understanding which states, which communities have lower issues and make this a fun movement to protect our kids and protect our grandchildren from going through what the shattering of our lives, what happened to my family. My family has been shattered and your family has been shattered. It doesn't have to be
0: so tell us about this you are doing this in a big way at org. tell us about your events going on around the the country uh, heightening awareness about this movement
1: sure what's created successful movements around this country and successful organizations in the healthcare area whether it's American Cancer American Heart Susan Komen Autism Speaks right down the list is events it's 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 events where people come together and have fun to support a cause. Susan Coleman, Race for the Cure. Cancer, Relay for Life. Autism events. People coming together to have fun to support a cause they care about. So as we create the movement for addiction, we need our vision is to create something that's never been done in this area. Yes, there has been a walk here or a race here. or or five races here, but not on a consistent basis the way the other health charities have done. So we're launching a series of events this year, 22 repelling events around the country where participants will repel off a building. Extremely safe. It's been done by a company for the last 10 years. No one's even had a scratch on them, their biggest clients are um, Make-A-Wish, Make-A-Wish, Special Olympics and the Boy Scouts they each do about 20 to 25 events a year and we're going to do 22 events this year. We're their fourth biggest client of the propelling company, completely safe in 21 cities around the country. Um, we have the schedule on our website. And to us this is the most important thing we're doing this year because when you get bring people together to have fun for a cause it basically tells not basically it tells the public we support this cause. These aren't bad kids. These aren't bad people. They have a disease, and we're here to support them. And we're going to have fun doing it. And we're going to raise money for for this cause. We're going to create awareness for this cause. We're going to bring t- people together for this cause, all having fun doing it. And,
0: and you're you know, doing it. You, didn't you have course. an event in San Jose just recently right in my backyard that was uh, very successful?
1: Yes, we had we had um, at the San Jose Marriott, uh, we had our first event uh, in December. We had 47 people repel that day. Um, at the event we raised9 uh, 90000 dollars in funding for our organization through the repellers raising money through their friends, family, and co-workers on their behalf. And we had some sponsors. We um, because of the cause and what we were doing and its uniqueness, we had um, uh, the three uh, local affiliates of NBC, CBS, and ABC covering us. We were on TV that night with NBC creating awareness for our cause. It was just a wonderful event. Wonderful event. Everybody had fun. And, and if t- any of your t- listeners want to um, – they care about this cause, which I suspect they do for listening – one of the biggest things they can do as we launch our organization into its, into its formation stage, into our beginning several years of launch, is be participate in one of these events. And they can go onto our website, and our all 21 uh, locations are on there with the dates, and we'd love to have greater participation. This is bringing people together to have fun to support our cause.
0: Fantastic to talk about revisiting. Uh, I want to ask you this. I'm just going to ask you point blank. You know, you uh, Shadowproof.org partners with lots of movers and shakers in the nation. Your your appearance at Bill Clinton's uh, National Health Matters uh, was uh, pivotal, and so Bill Clinton is one of those guys that seems to know how to get things moving and shaking. Um, how does a guy like you Uh, get together with a guy like that so that we can get rubber to meet the road with a guy like me? What you knew a guy who knew a guy Can, can, can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. Um, let me answer about Bill Clinton second and just generally first, generally first, you know, I've been in business for, for, for 30 years. I've built a fairly successful company. I've got a lot of relationships and those relationships had helped me launch this organization. Secondly, let me say that, which will lead into the relation, how it started with Bill Clinton. This is not about me. If I were talking about something, no matter how good my relationships were, if I were calling up a friend to get involved in this, and it were for something that no one cared about, that'd be a difficult phone call. When I network in in, in the relationships that I have about a cause that relates to 25 million Americans who are actively addicted, which is one in 10 Americans above the age of 12. And when I'm calling people about a cause that relates to 25 million Americans times two or three people per family besides the person who's addicted families of 3 or 4 you're talking about 75 to 100 million Americans that are affected by this cause and their immediate family i'm one of them you're one of them it wasn't us it was your father and my son there's 75 to 100 million Americans like you or i one quarter to one third of america this is not about me and my relationships this is about a cause that affects so many people, that shatters so many lives, that when people feel that there's hope, that there's someone going to lead an organization that can use existing research and start saving lives tomorrow, people are coming out of the woodwork. In the answer to your question about Bill Clinton? I didn't know Bill. I don't know Bill Clinton very well. I know him a little bit now. I didn't know him before I joined uh, Clinton Health Matters. Um, Clinton Health Matters. It was as simple as a year's worth of research with some of the best people around the country helping me build a business plan. And we, when we submitted that that business plan to the Clinton Foundation, out of out of the numerous business plans they received. They called me and said of all the business plans we received this year, there are four that stand out, and yours is one of them. Beautiful. Would you come speak? at we'd like, to, we'd, like to, we'd like to feature your business plan at our conference, and would you be willing to come and speak? It wasn't any relationship. It was the business plan, and it wasn't the business plan. It was the need. One third to one quarter of America is affected by this. We have a lot of the answers to, to improve it, and they're sitting in research journals. This is like low-hanging fruit. The biggest issue in this country that's preventable, that's shattering lies, we have information to improve it, and now there's an organization and a business plan put together to tackle it.
0: Fantastic. So let me let me uh, press this. So we've got end-stage uh, kidney disease where um, hemodialysis is necessary. We see dialysis units on uh, more and more corners of America because people need this to sustain their lives. As a businessman, why um, why aren't you seeing places called recovery health centers in every metropolitan market so that people can have less uh, barrier to entry and receive the care they need from acute to managed care over the course of time so that uh the capital outlay isn't as much but people are getting the chronic um care or I'm sorry the managed care that they need sure. w- why isn't that showing up
1: the answer to your question is very simple up until January 1 of this year none of it was covered by very little of it was covered by insurance but and still so-
0: we but still we spent 35 billion dollars on 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 treatment um the
1: I'm not sure of that number, but let's say your number is right. But that number is mostly for people paying out of paying themselves versus covered by insurance. So, to transition to the to the to the country that you just laid out, to an America where there are these health centers, very prevalent, so people can access them. We now have the legislation in place with the Parity Act and the Affordable Care Act. It now has to be implemented.
0: So this is part of the thought leadership at shatterproof.org that that this is in the vision. Absolutely. Beautiful.
1: Absolutely. This is right in the strike zone. And and the legislation is now there. But people need to know about it, and it needs to happen. And what Shatterproof can bring to the table, the the, the particular uh, experience that I can bring to the table, is not through years of addiction policy but for you but for three years of, of building a business and executing like a business, and in the business world, we tend to do things a little bit quicker and more efficiently than in the um, larger bureaucratic world and that 's the particular expertise that I can lend to this
0: fantastic that's uh, that really makes my heart sing to hear you say that uh, that is in the wheelhouse. Um, So you're saying that the concept of monetizing wellness is uh, on the horizon.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the legislation envisions it, but it's one thing to have it envision it to actually have it happen. And that's why we need to unite millions of Americans to join our cause. I mean, look look at what just happened with other things. When, When there's other organizations that... Are, are efficient at bringing together millions of Americans for a cause. They're able to affect change. I can't do this alone. I can't do this with, with the 25,000 people that are part of our organization right now already. In the last four months, we have 25,000 people that are following us. We need to break a million. We need to break a million and a half and bring those voices together efficiently to affect change. And when we bring those voices together efficiently, we will affect change.
0: Shatterproof.org says, unite and empower, end the stigma, advocate for change, research and innovate. And from what you've told us today, it sounds like that you are uh, paving the way for these things to happen. Uh, can you end with us? Can we end our conversation by you uh, perhaps giving us a little bit more heart, telling us a little bit more about Brian, because I know there's so many people around the country who absolutely identify with your story.
1: Um, sure, I'd be more than happy to. It, maybe I'll preface it with not reading word for word because I don't have it in front of me, but, but giving highlights of an email I got yesterday. I got an email yesterday from a woman who described a situation where her son was addicted for several years. She couldn't find a treatment program that followed anything that was based on science. Her son felt horrible about himself. Her son wrote letters home from treatment programs saying, I'm so sorry I'm doing to, this to you. He went to a treatment program, his last one. He, he, um, he was discharged saying he was fine. And the next day he relapsed and overdosed and died. Mm-hmm. He, was 19, he was 19 years old. Mm. I get those stories every day. That was just yesterday. I can tell you a similar story the day before. I can tell you a story from four days ago where a father calls me and his son is is addicted, alive, won't go to treatment. The father father called me and said, my idea to get him to treatment is to have him arrested. So at least he'll be safe for a little while and maybe then he'll consider going to treatment. Mm -hmm. I said to the father, have you ever heard of an interventionist? He said no. What's that? My point in saying that is, the information's not out there. Right. I mean, people don't know what to do. I'm getting. I'm working with. I can't tell you how many families I talk to. Usually at night and on weekends, where I don't have time during the day. There's no. We need to get the information out there, Brian. Was this, you know, whenever a family calls me, the first thing I say is, I I don't know for sure, but I'm willing to bet that your child growing up was loving and adorable. They said, yeah, how'd you know? I said, because they're all good kids. Mm. They become addicted when they're 13, 14, 15, when 10, 10 kids go in the backyard to smoke pot or have their first beer, and one out of those 10 becomes addicted. He didn't raise his hand and say, addict me. Hmm. He didn't reach up to God and say, addict me today. One out of ten, for whatever reason, approximately half genetically and the other half because maybe there's some anxiety or depression or or feeling some tension in their life. That for whatever reason, that drug connected with their brain. And over the next months, weeks, months or years, they slowly or quickly became addicted. And when you're 13 or 14 or 15 and you're transitioning from middle school to high school, you have no idea what's happening to you. You have no idea. Right. And then it's too late. You're addicted. And then you go into this treatment world that is, that is in the stone ages. Hmm. Generally speaking, not that there aren't good therapists and not good treatment programs, but generally speaking as an industry. And there's no one who will dispute that. Brian was the same. I mean, Brian, when he was, when Brian died, I had people calling me from all over the country, people I'd never heard of before. One woman, woman called me crying hysterically, said, I need something of Brian's, a shoelace, a shirt, something. I said, how did you know Brian? See, if it wasn't for Brian, I would be dead. I was so depressed one day. I, didn't, I had no hope. Brian stayed up with me all night. The whole next day, he gave me hope. Because of Brian, I'm here today.
0: Hmm.
1: Another woman called me up two months after he died and said, I feel so bad. And she was crying horribly on the phone. She said, everyone is posting stories about Brian on his Facebook memorial page. And I can't do it. Because there's so much to tell about Brian. I can't fit it in. I said, well, just think of one memory, post it. And then a month later post another memory. The next day I went on his website and she had posted a memory. It was her first day in a treatment program. She was sitting on a bench in a field and she saw this kid walking, walking around the field. And she was hoping desperately that he wouldn't stu- that he wouldn't talk to her. She wasn't ready to talk to anybody yet. She said, Brian, it was Brian. She said, he walked up to me He hugged me, he whispered in my ear and said, it's gonna be okay, and he kept walking. He knew what I needed. Brian died because he was ashamed of who he was. Brian died because he didn't wanna hurt his family anymore. That is unfair, that is unjust. He had a disease. And there's hundreds of thousands like Brian that we can save. It's too late for me and my family. It's too late for Brian. It is not too late. It is not too late for hundreds of thousands of others like Brian today, and for children yet to be born, to be protected from this disease.
0: Gary, thank you. I, I, uh, I'm speechless. Um, your generosity is overwhelming. Uh, Brian now lives in all of our hearts i I'm mindful of your schedule. Tell us the easiest way to get involved with shatterproof to 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 help.
1: Sure, uh, thanks, herbie. Um, the easiest way is to go onto our website and enter your email address and your zip code so you can receive regular communication for us so you can you can understand as we grow what programs are available. Our resource center right now has a little bit of information now, but it's going to have a lot more over the coming months and a lot more over the coming years. So if you give us your email address and zip code, we will notify you as changes are made and new information comes up, and we can t- ask, ask you for other things. We may need a vote in a particular state to get a policy changed. If we know you have your zip code, we can know which state you're in and call upon you when we need a vote or we need a petition signed or we need someone to march on the the state capitol. So that's the first thing. The second thing is obviously donations of any amount that anyone is comfortable with. And the third thing is participate in our events. These events are, are more than just your donation to an event or asking friends for donation. These are bringing people together, uniting people together under a common cause. These events are more than, more than what they are for the day. They're symbolic of people coming together to show their support for this cause. So I encourage anyone, if you want to help Shatterproof, sign up to our website and give us your email address and zip code so we can communicate with you. And, and look on our website where our events are and come join us on our events. It's coming together for a common cause and showing America we're, we are going to create a movement to take this information that's standing there and start saving lives tomorrow. And we need together, unite together and empower us together to do so.
0: Gary Mendel, shadowproof.org. Thank you for this hope, for this vision and for this seminal work that you're doing. I, I can't thank you enough for this time. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Herbie. Thank you very much.
0: You're so right, Mr. Mendel enough. Thank you, Gary, and thank you, Brian Mandel, for this ongoing life force that through its plan and execution and this present landscape begging for change will do just that. Listeners, go to shatterproof.org to find out more about getting involved from donation to advocacy to the many fun events planned to evangelize this message. Thanks again, Gary. As ever, I'm Dr. Herbie Bell, and you can find me on the web at recoveryhealthcare.me, that's dot M-E, or facebook.com recoveryhealth. Thank you for listening, and do us a favor by going to iTunes and giving a rating and a review, because all great beginnings start with a conversation. Here's to the next time, and in the meantime, long-term recovery equals long-term wellness stay well